You're listening to Rocks Across the Pond, the curling podcast that goes around the globe looking for the best stories in the world's coolest sport. We have curling news and views for everyone, whether you're playing in your Thursday league or following your favorite teams on tour. Now here are your hosts, Ryan McGee and our professor of Peel, Jonathan Havercroft. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Rocks Across the Pond. It's a curling podcast coming to you from Richmond, Virginia. My name is Ryan McGee. Joining me in Southampton, England, is our professor of Peel, Jonathan Havercroft. Jonathan, we haven't talked in a while. How have you been? Good. It's hot here. There's no curling right now, Ryan. Okay. just uh, getting sunburned. Okay. What have you been up to? Uh, Work. A lot of work, a lot of marketing, um, program review, very exciting. I saw you went to a castle. I did go to a castle, yeah. We had some friends in town. Uh, we went to Hearst Castle. Like, uh, is that is that the same as Hearst Castle in California? Uh, it's a different spelling. Okay. This is H-U-R-S-T, whereas Hearst Castle in California is like uh, William Randolph Hearst, right? Was did this Hearst that had this castle also run a media empire? No, this is the castle. So this is a castle that Henry VIII built, and it was in use right up until the 1950s. So it's actually like the waterway right that runs past Southampton is called the Solent. And if you understand British geography, we're like on the south coast mm-hmm. of Britain. And there's a big island off the coast of us called the Isle of Wight. And okay. the Solent's the water that goes through it. Okay. And if you can kind of visualize it, this castle stands at the mouth of one end opposite the Isle of Wight. There's actually a castle on the other side. So this was like defensive purposes. The other edge of the Solent's Portsmouth, which is where the Royal Navy is based. Okay. So, and we've always been the, we're like the shipping passenger ship port and Portsmouth's always been the military port. So we're where the Mayflower sailed from here. Yep. And And the Titanic, Titanic, the Titanic sailed from here as long as a lot of other stuff. And if you like my people, my mom's generation before people flew transatlantic, they'd normally take a passenger ship. So my mom, my thesis advisor, a bunch of people like who'd now be in their seventies, eighties, if they came from North America uh, to Europe, they'd normally come to Southampton was the port. So this okay. castle's like mili- it's like a functioning military uh, fort through World War II because it's there to wow. block to protect uh, kind of access to several key ports. Wow! So, so it's this, a pretty cool castle, yeah. yeah. Is, so this yeah. castle what fought both like the War of the Roses and the Nazis? Uh, not the War of the Roses, but <laughs> certainly the English back. Civil War. Uh, War of the Roses before Henry VIII. <laughs> Returned into a bad history podcast. <laughs> I am I I am terrible at years. So yes, yeah. the <laughs> War of the Roses ended with the house, the Tudor house, um, okay. coming to power, which was Henry the Seventh, Henry the Eighth's father. Oh, so I was actually kind of close. You weren't you weren't far off, but All Henry right. the is after after <laughs> the War of the Roses. Um, I thought I was off by like hundreds of years. No, I was no, off no, by no. dozens. Okay. No, but it would have been used um, like the big war, like domestic war would have been the Civil War, which was in the 1640s. So okay. 
it was certainly there's something in there about parliamentary forces seizing it or something i can't yeah okay well that's exciting um that's a lot more exciting than the things that like are going on in my life i mean i can tell you about the things that are currently exciting in my life what's exciting in your life all right so i'm actually really proud of this i have really upped my dad game Uh oh because (laughs) uh i got a garage fridge for your beers yes so like a legit full-size side-by-side refrigerator and to make it like even more dad i got it for free yeah so i have a free awesome enormous refrigerator slash freezer in my garage that currently is holding a lot of beer so I'm very excited about that. The other thing that I'm right, it's excited called, about. We should note it's all Coors Light. Most of it is Coors Light. Yes. <laughs> all right. I have other like fancy schmancy beers for other people like when we have people over. But like Scott is, and Sean swing by. You have some Scott real beer. Sw- if Scott and Sean swung by, there would be beers in there that they would delightfully consume. All right. But most of it is Coors Light. All right. <laughs> uh, so that's one thing about this awesome garage fridge. Number two, it was free. Which is like even more dad. Like, where'd you get it from? Uh, some friends of ours, uh, their parents were doing a full reno of their house and they were getting rid of their fridge. Yeah. Um, so that's the other, the, the third awesome thing about it that also has me like obsessed. So, like, the last few refrigerators that I've had have been stainless steel, which magnets do not sk- stick to. This one is like a regular refrigerator that's made out of whatever it is that refrigerators are made out of. So magnets do stick to it. So now I have all these magnets that I've collected that actually have a place to go. And like I found stickers, like the sticker, the Game of Stone sticker that Sean and Scott sent us. Like I took the little thing where you can like make a magnet um, by you know sticking a sticker on it. Uh, I got a sheet of you know magnet sheets so I could do that. I went through all of my old concert lambs and satins and turned some of those into magnets. So yeah, I'm like covering this refrigerator in magnets slash stickers. Like I've even got, I've got the a rocks across the pond magnet on there now. Oh, by the way, did, uh, I don't think I ever told you this. I have a bunch of rocks across the pond stickers that I need to send you so that you can take them to Euros. Oh yeah. Are you sponsoring our team? Uh, I can sponsor them by sending you a bunch of stickers. Oh, we'd, we'd give you a spot for 500 pounds. A patch how much is that uniform. in, how much is that in real money? Uh, it depends on who is in charge of the government in that given day. <laughs> it's, it was, I got down to par when Liz Truss was prime minister, uh-huh. pretty close to par. It's a bit better now with Rishi. So uh, probably about 125, 128. So it's that, eh, a little over 600 bucks. Yeah, I don't have that. So for 600 bucks, stickers. for 600 bucks, you could sponsor Team yeah. Rushless. Very exciting. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I have a very, yeah, my, my hobbies are very cheap. My current hobby is stickers and magnets. So I'll say, so if you, if you're out there and you have a really cool sticker or magnet for your curling club, and you want to send it to me, just hit us up in the DMs on Instagram or Twitter. And while supplies last, I might even reciprocate and send you a Rocks Across the Pond uh, sticker so I can add your curling club to my awesome garage fridge that I got for free. Are we ever going to make pins? No? That's uh, that's expensive, man. Stickers uh, are cheap. 
How much are pins? Like more expensive than stickers. Uh. <laughs> In order for pins to be cheap, you have to order like a lot. Like how many? Like a hundred. Would that be, how much would that cost? That would get you down, like I don't have it in front of me, but that would get like the per pin amount down to a very manageable amount. But if you order like 20 pins, you're going to spend a lot of money. If you do 100, is it like two bucks a pin? Probably less than that. If you're ordering, a, if you're getting up to 100, that the price breaks probably oh. make it less than two bucks a pin. Oh, well, we could talk about that. I would do it. We could do a, a RATP pin swap. Okay. Because I, I put things in um, diaper amounts, and at two hundred dollars, that's four boxes of diapers. So, <laughs> oh, what's that last you about a week? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also, I've been curling. How's that? We going? can get in. We, I'll tell you what. This intro is already long enough. We will get into my curling next week with the intro for our next episode. Because, Jonathan, we have an exciting... This is a first in Rocks Across the Pond history. We have a two-parter. All right. What's the first part? The first part is Italy. Okay. So who's our guest? Our guest is one of the coaches from the Italian curling program. He's been a guest before, Marco Mariani. He was a guest when he was a coach of the Chinese uh, curling program. He is now... uh, moved back to his home country of Italy, and we are going to talk about his role with the Italian Federation, um, where he is coaching the junior teams. And we're going to talk about how Italy is preparing as a curling federation for the Olympic Games and how these we, we are preparing for the curling competition at the Olympics, because he's heavily involved in setting up the arena and the competition and setting up the competition for 2026 in Cortina. All right. Sounds good. Let's give it a listen. All right. Here's part one of our interview with Marco Mariani covering Italian curling. We are joined today by Marco Mariani and Marco, this is your second time on the show. The last time that I saw you, it was uh, a little bit different. You were in China. I'm not, I'm not going to lie, Marco, just look, looking at your face, you look a lot happier now uh, than you did when I talked to you a year ago. Yeah. You know, I just coming from a um, uh, uh, ride with my bike from uh, Carla is a place from close to Venice and uh, it was a beautiful day on the sea and swimming a lot. And now I'm very happy for that. And, you know, I'm free. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you were in complete lockdown the last time that we had you on the show, probably in more ways than one. Um, So it's good to talk to you again. And uh, yeah, as I mentioned, you're you're not with the Chinese program anymore. You are back home and you're with Team Italy. Can you tell us about your current role with with Team Italy? Yeah, now I'm uh, responsible for the all the junior. And uh, I'm the in charge to development curling that uh, for the younger player, and uh, I'm manager from a new uh, project like curling school, and uh, that's uh, very important for us. We try to go with the curling in the school, and actually, I'm uh, responsible for uh, for build a new coach in Italy too. Uh, I have a lot uh, things to do here. 
and uh, I think I'm quite sure I will be the sport manager for the Olympic game and para Olympic game for 2026 in Cortina, depending of course. Yeah, tell me, tell us about that role. Um, what you're going to be doing for the Cortina 2026 group? Um, like, what are you going to be running? What are you going to be uh, responsible for in terms of the the curling competition there in Cortina? Yeah, for sure, the competition in Cortina will be a fantastic event. For sure, the arena is very uh, old, but the fashion style, and that's uh, the is the um, the same arena part of the same arena we have done already the Olympic game in 56. And, uh, but uh, that's my house because I board inside that arena. Now we have the roof. And of course, uh, I will be in charge with my crew and my deputy and all my friends to build that event. Of course, uh, with the World Curling Federation and all of the people work on that size of curling. Okay. Um. I don't know. It might have been. Uh, it might have been interesting to see to see an event uh, that that's open air. That would that might have been interesting to see if you guys had not finished the roof. <laughs> no, Cortina. Have, uh, we have the roof already from uh, twenty years ago. We have uh, we played the World Championship two thousand and ten, uh, and I I think it was uh, uh, Kevin Kuga win the championship at that time two thousand and ten in Cortina. Yeah, yeah, I think it was. I've actually played there in the Cortina Summer Spiel about oh, eight yeah? years ago. You it was gorgeous, the, right? You win the tournament? No, we did not win the tournament. <laughs> <laughs> we made the final eight. That was, uh, and then we won some cheese. I, I don't. I, it's a, it's the Schenkel, right? I don't. You have no idea what's happening yeah. with the Schenkel. I don't know. I, we, I can say that the, the summer tournament Cortina is one of the best tournaments for that period in Italy or in Europe. We still have a lot of team come to play. And uh, it's very funny, of course. Uh, actually, the level is quite higher because we have a yeah. good team. And uh, is uh, actually, I can invite a lot of team from Canada, from everywhere, England, to come to play in Cortina that tournament because it's very nice. I think it's fantastic. And actually, like the the venue is amazing because you're, it's like half old wood seating, exactly. and the other half is glass. And yes. then you're looking, you're playing, and you're looking out at the Alps. It's just yeah. like. Hmm. It's and the most gorgeous venue I've played. The solution we have to to blanket for the Olympic game. Uh, <laughs> oh no! For, to make oh, better no. ice cream. Yeah, the ice quality gorgeous. was probably not Olympic quality, I'll say. But yeah. he was better. <laughs> Jonathan tells me every year that I need to come out and go to that spiel with him. He always talks talks up that spiel in Cortina. Okay. Yeah. 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 No, that's fun. So this this last year you were coaching the Italian juniors and I was very impressed with the showing that both teams had, especially the men's team who got out of the bees, got into the main um, into the main worlds and then also like kept their spot. They did well enough at worlds that they're not going to have to go back to Loya next year, uh, which I'm sure you're excited about for the for the for the men's side. So actually, you know. We have to back in Loya for the A championship. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the A's are in Loya next year? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> no, but for sure we have to go in uh, in Korea for uh, yoga. That's a little bit different. <laughs> but, you well, know, us, uh, the big group... about those junior teams. 
Sorry? Tell us about those junior teams and what you saw from them this year. Oh, uh, this year I have a, a really solid team. And that was the same team, more or less the same team was uh, was in the years before. And they was, uh, of course, they play A group and after they back in B. But uh, I bring another two young player inside that team. And uh, we try to build, you know, I work in some way like dynamic teamwork, techniques and tactics. And uh, we try to build that. Uh, and uh, we find a good solution in the lineup, change some position. And uh, after that, uh, we play a co- couple of competitions, no more than that, because I was uh, uh, in charge for the junior from uh, October 2022. Yes, 22. And after that, uh, I was very hurried to prepare the team. And uh, we make some uh, training camp with the Retornats team too. And we play some exhibition game against that team. And uh, I see the, the, the improve of my team, of junior team. I say, okay, we can do something. We was in, a, in a Loya for the B group and we play a fantastic tournament. We lost just against China, but in the end we have seen what China do in the junior. And the one of these players was player in my program, my and Pei and Soren Ployan. Number three was in our program. Okay. And uh, yeah, uh, we... After that, we go in Fissen, and we, I'm, I'm quite sure we can play a good tournament. We was a little bit unlucky because our skip uh, was sick for three days, and we miss him for three games. One against Norway, Scotland, and uh, uh, you know, he, he, after he was back, he was not in good, in good shape against USA. If we won one of that three games, for sure, we wasn't the semifinal, and I can't say we can bring a medal. But I can say Giacomo Colli, the skip uh, uh, during the championship, uh, he had a very good performance, but all the team was good. Very, very good. I'm very happy about that. Women's side, we start a new project with the all younger player, and we don't care uh, of only Marta Lo Deserto was with us, but uh, in the end, uh, probably was a my small mistake because I have to go and try to have uh, a totally new player because uh, for her playing that junior, younger team was not good from my point of view. The connection and the balance, anyway, she is a very fantastic good player, but in that kind of uh, reality, was not his worth. So with the uh, with the junior program, you and I were talking before, and we saw I saw that uh, your daughter was a part of the team that won Italian Junior Nationals. Does that mean that her team is going to represent Italy at Junior B's next year, or is that not how the program works uh, where you are? Well, our program is still a selection, like the okay. senior, like everything, like we have done in China, because uh, I started the project with selection in Italy in twenty. In no, 2016, 2016, and we start with selection and we go on that. Uh, that kind of process uh, have uh, done a good success in uh, for for Italy. You see, now we have built a lot of player. We have uh, created some professional player too, and that means is uh, maybe the right way to go because in Italy we don't have too much team at that level, and we need to work on the. Um, we can say uh, 
not on the amount of player, but just in the good way, in the good player. We have to play with, we have to work uh, better with the not much player. You understand what I mean? Uh, we have to, mm-hmm. we have to play, we have to work in the tire. How? Be so, leader, because we, we don't have uh, so much number of players. So what's your process as a coach when you're selecting yeah. players? What what kinds of things do you look for? What What's the process that you use in order to form a team? Uh, we normally do, we start already in the summer with the um, uh, SNC and the physical training. Mm-hmm. After that, uh, we see the performance in that way. And after we go on the ice and when we are on the ice, of course, we make drills. We make, we make, uh, we make um, uh, um, skill and all of that. And after we, we see, we try different uh, situation in the, in the team and we see what is, where is the best dynamic and the best uh, performance in the team, not by a single player, but in the team. Mm. Which kind of situation or which kind of player make the best solution to make the best performance in the team? And do you do that also for the the adult team? So for the men's and women's teams, does Italy also do selection or is it a play down okay. process? Uh, it's not my job that now. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> uh, I'm just a fellow of the junior. And in the junior, of course, of course, I go on the selection. I make training camp. I make uh, the performance. I see that. But in the end, it's up to me to decide which kind of player will will be or we we will be the the, the best team for the for that event. Mm-hmm. Uh, the men and the women now in the men, we can say it's hard to say because we have uh, a team very strong, like. Uh, Joel Eternat's team. Joel is my good friend. We have played in Torino together and uh, we still in contact every day. I remember when we, when they was in the World Championship, the last one, and uh, I called him because the first two couple of games was not so good. They say, hey, Joel, your foot push a little bit inside when you play out turn. Okay, thank you, Marco. I try to, <laughs> to be better. <laughs> the only one. But uh, yeah, that, they are very strong. It's not easy to make selection when you have a team like that or player like that in that moment. But uh, for the future, uh, I hope and I think they have to still to work on the rest of the younger player. They are close to that team. They have to go and try to let that uh, different team grow. So how many competitive teams are there in Italy right now? Is it just... Like we we obviously know like the you know Stefania's I can team say we, we can know see. yeah Stefania have a good team younger mm-hmm. team yeah and uh, yeah but we cannot say how many competitive team we have we can say in Italy how many player competitive we have okay so how many competitive players do you have do you think in Italy okay uh, on the women's side I can say I. Uh, can they already uh, good like the Stefania team? And I can say uh, which kind of player will be a good player. I can say in the women's side we have that four girl and we have another seven, eight good player can be on that level in the future. Okay. 
And do all the players then play together, like train together nationally, or is it uh, people just train oh. at their local rinks? Or? Uh, we have local rinks, and uh, okay, Stefania have his team, and then now is it too much busy in the tournament competition and something like that? She don't have too much time to training like technique on the uh, home uh, training center because she is too busy to go around the world to play competition, uh, Grand Slam, uh, all of that. And actually, the the rest of the the player, yes, they they training in his uh, local club uh, rink. Okay. And how how many rinks do you have in Italy? Oh, okay. Uh, now we have uh, uh, facility only for curling. We don't mm-hmm. have much, but we have for sure five facility for curling. Okay. Pinerolo, mm-hmm. Cortina. Brunico, Chambra, and Cloud. Just facility for curling. But okay. after that, we have uh, now 11, 12 new center. They start with the curling and play curling. They don't have exclusive facility for curling or dedicated facility for curling, but they have a good program of curling. Milano, Paris, yeah. something like that. Bormio, different places. All in the north of Italy, of course. Okay, because that's that's where most of the winter sports are played, I assume. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. And so, given that, how many is it? Like a few hundred people are kind of recreational curlers in Italy, or is it? What? How many like just club curlers would you say there oh, are? Okay, uh, we have around uh, two hundred and fifty player. Okay, no more than that. But actually, when we have done this year for three months, the curling school program. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have uh, more than 4,000 uh, uh, students and play curling for five, six lessons, lessons mm-hmm. for one hour for each lesson. And after they have done a, a competition, a region competition, like uh, five different finals for different wide regroup. Oh, wow. So the curling school program, that's something that you also run. Yeah, I'm the sport manager for that. Yeah. Okay, and so so that sounds like you've got a lot of young people involved in curling through that. So can you yeah. explain the idea behind it and how you set it up? Yeah, that was a um, minister of uh, sport and healthy in Italy. Mm-hmm. They give that uh, we present that project today, and they give us the money to to let that kind of program go on. Okay. The um, we involve mostly of the of course the center of curling we have, and we try to open in Rome too. Maybe we start uh, in September this year to open close to Rome a, a curling school program there too. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's not easy because you know uh, curling. Yeah, everybody now in Italy know curling after the Olympic game. After every Olympic game, everybody know curling. After two years. Everybody forget curling or they have yeah. a little bit less consideration about that sport. But uh, now we try to bring that sport in the big city like Milano, Torino, of course, in the north. And Rome, we try in Rome too. Okay. And because we, we okay. wanted to bring the know-how of, of curling not only in the student, but in the family of that student. They have okay. to know what's curling. That's why, that's our... A main uh, thing or main target to do: try to expand the idea about curling in the family in Italy. Okay, and and do you think that 
Um, so how many people who've gone through the curling school do you think will end up sticking with local curling clubs? Oh, I, uh, we have uh, quite a target of number to reach. And uh, now we, we have a, a new 35, 40 new curler. Oh, wow. Four, yeah. So that's, that's pretty good. You grew by 10%, 10-15% just yeah, off one year of yeah. the program. Yeah, but wow. uh, now next year we start with the we can primary school too. Oh wow! Yeah, and in a couple of days in Milano in um, uh, Idroscalo, we have a very important um, uh, uh, event. We promote curling too, and we have by of course some curling floor, like you know not ice but there's a teflon, mm-hmm. and we make uh, some kind of um, uh, um, uh, event of curling to promote curling in Milano too, and uh, we have uh, a huge of reservation about school. They want to come there. School, we can say summer school to mm-hmm. come training and try that floor curling too. Oh, we wow. have sheet about that. So, how does this compare? So, you played for Italy in the early 2000s. So, how different is curling now than when you were playing competitively in Italy? The broom is already different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the shoes, more or less, is the same. Of course, tactics is totally different. And I can say in Italy, the approach of curling is totally different because now we are more professional. We watch in the tide. We work in the performance. We work in the in all is the best of curling. And before was a little bit the, not in professional way, but like in amateur way, you know, but like I, we still have that kind of uh, um, uh, old-fashioned thinking about curling. You know, after the game, uh, the winner paid the drink. Of course, still that in curling, but in the professional curling, it's not more like that. In Italy mm-hmm. now, we, we take uh, serious about curling, about the performance, about the competition, uh, physical, about everything. Curling, I'm very happy in Italy now is a sport. Is there any like specific story that you can think of that you know really illustrates the difference between back then versus now uh, in terms of curling in Italy? Yeah, you know when I was a, a curler and I, I played the Olympic game in two thousand and six, I remember the first time we really uh, make some something for prepared that event was one years before uh, the the Olympic game and all the team training for one year in Switzerland. But our level was very low because we just started. We will do some competition. We have some result in your European championship, but not too much. Now, when we go to prepare one event like European or world championship or something, we do that uh, training camp or that uh, uh, preparation for that event in the way not just to participate, but to try to win. That's totally different. And the the crew around you, the team around you is bigger. You have a SNC, you have a physio, you have the doctor, you have the mental coach. You have now that what's go around us is totally different. Uh, really professional. We have uh, on the men's size we have uh, six seven player, and the women's size now we have four, three. Sorry. Because uh, mostly of that, that that athlete, they work for the army. 
Mm-hmm. A new enter in that kind of process is uh, uh, Angela uh, and uh, Marta Lo Deserto and Giovannella. How, how has that military program helped you professionalize curling in Italy? You know, uh, before the curler was a person normally have his kind of is a private job or they they work for some uh, uh, some owner, but now they can just uh, focus only on curling. Twenty four hour a day. That's the totally And what's their what's the military commitment? What do you mean? What do you mean for military? Well, the the ones that are that are in the army program what's the military get obviously they get to focus on curling now but then what's the military commitment yeah. aspect of of that program they don't have really military commitment they have more commitment in curling of course they have to go some time with is uh, is uh, uh, we can say police department to some exhibition like shake the hand to somebody or something like that but the most of the time they have to be on the ice and the gym. Okay. That's the, the main things for the military, because if you win a medal on the Olympic game and you are under police or under uh, uh, another car kind of military, uh, carabinieri, we call it in Italy, uh, that is a, mm-hmm. a, a big, a big, uh, big good things for the army. I have a medal, gold medal or silver medal. Stefania, okay, when so she won of... the, 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 she was in police, and Amos, she was in the uh, aeronautica is uh, highway. I don't, I don't know in English that kind of uh, force with the air, air force. Uh, air uh, force like yeah. like highway patrol. Yeah. Oh, air force. Yes. Air force. Yeah. Okay. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. So, like, would they promote? You know. Yeah. That they. Basically, they're the marketing arm of the the Air Force or the police department, and go and do um, go do events on their behalf to uh, to show the program. Yeah, but mostly of that sport, most of the sport in Italy, they were with the army for other professional events. Okay. Uh, uh, Ariana Fontana, all of that people is in, in the army. Yeah, is it new for curling to be a part of that? I imagine that the the other sports yeah. like you know yeah. skiing, the those. We opened, we, we yeah. The first time we opened that kind of way when it was when I was technical director with the Air Force with the, I remember the first two was Arman and Amos and uh, Alberto Pimpini. That the first three mm-hmm. player, and after that coming uh, Momo Gunin. That okay. was the first four athletes for curling into the army, 2018, or to, before the Olympic game in Korea. Yeah, I remember talking, uh, talking to Joel um, at Curling Night in America in Raleigh, and he was talking. Ta- so this would have been like 2019, so it would have been right after that. And he was talking even back then about how big of a difference it was to have them in that program to where they could focus on curling. And do you think that that's kind of the yeah. reason why that team has had the trajectory it's had in the last three years? Uh, that's one of uh, that's one of the reason. Actually, uh, Amos and um, Sebastiano they are they have a skill to play curling too, of course. But all uh, yeah. the job we have, yeah, all the job we have done before. Uh, 
is a, a small um, uh, piece to grow and to arrive at that uh, that level. And uh, I can say that team, the 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 the, the, the change at moment for Israel team was the World Championship. Okay, uh, the, that World Championship after the Olympic game was not the high level championship, but they was bronze medal, and that that make the click in his mind, and that. Uh, make him uh, very confident to play any any competition, and they know they can beat anyone now. That's my idea, actually. Mm. Mental side is very important. So, so then this, go ahead, Jonathan. I was just going to ask. So what? I mean, you, so there's a breakthrough there with uh, with. Um, the Retornas rank winning the bronze at the Worlds. But for Italy, I mean, I think, I assume the big breakthrough is the, with the gold medal and mixed doubles with Amos and Stefania, right? That's, that must have changed. Uh, yeah, yeah. Water. I am agree. I am agree. That's make a more, um, um, more involved. All the nation, like uh, Italian uh, supporting, everybody after that, no curling. But we know uh, mixed double is up and down. Can you can win and you can arrive six. You can uh, win the, the years after. Uh, yes, but we can say more consistent work was done in the team mm. than uh, mixed double. After the mixed double for the Olympic game, we was uh, we find the right uh, we can say mix before Stefan and Amos because there are. Two different players, but together they're very strong, from my point of view. They are complementary. Mm. If you put that two guys together, they are not the same person, but together they make a good team. Hmm. With different skills. Well, I mean, you saw that. They ran, they did not lose. So that that obviously played out. And after that, after the gold medal game, they had never played again together. Oh. <laughs> <Why> is, <laughs> is that is that because they have a hard time playing together, or is it? Uh, well, you know, maybe time take some break, maybe after to regenerate is um, we can say commitment for the future. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, what was the reaction? What was the reaction in Italy to that gold medal? Like, would, what what kind of spotlight or what kind of attention did curling get in Italy because of that? Okay, from my point of view, uh, the first moment was fantastic. The first five, six months. But after that, uh, you need something behind that project. If you don't have done too much, it's e- easy to lose that kind of, uh, we can say, upgrade. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Now, of course, everybody know curling, but uh, you know, years by years, they start. We start to lose a little bit of that kind of uh, um, consideration from the people. But everybody know curling already from Torino. That was the first step. And gold medal make more consideration in curling, of course. And Stefania is a good ambassador, and Amos too. They have a nice face. And so is the is the kind of the curling at school program, is that kind of a way for you guys to kind of reca- basically continue the momentum now that, you know, cur- people at least know the sport and then use that use that program to get them on the ice and into into curling programs? Yeah, you know, when you go in that school, most of the people 
they like to come on the ice because they lose some school lesson and uh, something different to do, sliding <laughs> on the ice, uh, throw some stone, and it's nice. And But some of that still continue because they like it. Of course, very important is that the coaching are there. They are very involved, the people, drive the people. That is very important. If you have people like that on the ice, you can build, you can find a lot of new players for the season, for the next season. We already start, we just start, sorry. We have done that for three months. In September, we restart again for another three, four months. And I think that three, four months starting September will be the more important, uh, we can say, period to see what's going on after that three months. We will see what is the, the result about how many people will be continued on the ice to play curling. Um, so after the after the success at the Olympics, is there any momentum to get any new curling rinks built in other parts of Italy? No comment. <laughs> oh no, because no. you, you I did hear you say that um, for Milan you were um, you know obviously you can get kids on the ice in Cortina, but in Milan you're going to have to do the the floor curling. Is there any momentum to to get a rink built in Milan? Yeah, I don't think that is possible in that moment. Uh, we have too much uh, different thing in the Europe, in the war. We have uh, coming out from the COVID. We have the war in Ukraine. We have a lot of people about that. And uh, we will see. Uh, now it's important to go on that Olympic game, see what's, go- what's, go- what's going on in that game, in that Olympic game, and see if it's possible to grow more in curling. And, and I spoke for curling. But uh, I think we have a good chance to do something. And I hope in my Milano and then big town like that, they start to thinking about to build a new curling venue. Remember this year, after directly after the Olympic game, we was the 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 the, the energy cost was amazing in Europe. Mm. <laughs> and the place mm. like uh, you have ice inside, the cost can be. Uh, make it three, four times the more expensive than before, and that uh, when the people have to build a new curling arena, I have to think about that. Can be not very good. We can say that mm-hmm. it's not uh, easy to find a person. Okay, yeah, I can invest to build a new curling arena with four sheet or three sheet. But if after this year, after COVID, after energy cost, after war, it's not easy to find people investing. Mm-hmm. Especially in Italy. In Canada, maybe more. Scotland, maybe more. But it's not easy in Italy at the moment. What kind of preparation are you doing for the Olympics and Paralympics? Oh, I know. Yeah, you're the only country that knows. <laughs> uh, yeah, you already know you're there. <laughs> Sorry, I'm. I'm not the coach for the men and women and just for the junior. And junior is not the team go to the Olympic game. You have oh, to yeah. add to Claudio Pescia and the Violeta Caldar. <laughs> okay. But so what what's but you're so you're actually gonna be host your job is gonna be hosting the event then? Is that so you're gonna be more on the event management side? Yeah. Okay, so what what kinds of things do you have to start doing now in order for that to uh, of course, we have to prepare the master plan to finish all the master plan. We already approved all the money to all the spend to do into the arena to build that arena, the best venue to prepare the best ice to put the player in the best position to make the best game. That is our target to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, we already start to prepare the crew, 
And I think in 2024, we start to rebuild, or not rebuild, but uh, make the arena in condition to do that. We have uh, money enough to do that. And yesterday, the, the government of Italy, they say, okay, that is the, the budget is approved. And that's no problem for us to do the job. What do you it's, have to do other than black out the windows? Yeah, <laughs> you know, the, the, the environment, we have to fix in the environment, the UTA, the, the, the air, uh, is a lot of job to do. It's an old venue, uh, mix it with the new things, and we have to make the, we can say, isolate the arena, the doors, the prepare the new look room, uh, and uh, we have a lot of job. We but have you, 90 million euro to spend there. Oh, wow. But you're going to keep the old woodwork, right? Because the old the, the woodwork of the venue is just amazing. I hope that, I hope yeah. that part gets capped. Uh, it's old fashioned. It's very nice. For me, the picture can come from the Olympic and be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's what, what, that was uh, the curling arena or the curling uh, Cortina arena was one of the, 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 the venue let the, 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 we can say, the, the EOC to give to to Italy the, the Olympic game in when was that uh, four years ago mm. was one of the reason the uh, arena of Cortina yeah because that was originally the 1956 I, outdoor ice hockey rink was that what it was originally or yeah they no, it was uh, open yeah it was the same but with not roof yeah okay. it was two rinks two rinks okay Wow. And now under the second ring is out of the arena. We 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 do a new curling arena in Cortina with Trichet. Oh wow. That concludes part one of our interview with Marco Mariani. Please join us next week for part two, where we will cover Marco's time coaching in China. If you enjoyed this podcast, the greatest gift that you can give us is to tell a friend about us. It's how we grow our show and how we share our love for this great game. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for Rocks Across the Pond. Please leave us a note if you liked the show or even if you didn't. Uh, But we will see you next week for part two of our conversation with Marco.